This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 165. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE at checkout to get 10% off. And by Acronis. Manually copying photos to an external hard drive is only part of your backup plan. What's your complete on- and off-site plan to back up your priceless photos and protect your perfectly tweaked computer and photo app settings? Celebrate World Backup Day with Acronis and receive a bonus license of its award-winning True Image Backup Solution. Visit trueimage.com slash improve to learn about this bonus license deal. Welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. Today, I am joined by Mr. Nick Page, as always, and a new voice on the show is Stephen Nolly. Welcome to the show. Hello. hello. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Well, Stephen, we're going to get to uh, get to know you a little bit more during the the show and talk a little bit about video because that's one of the things that you do a lot, especially Indeed. shooting with Magic Lantern firmware on your camera. And so, right. uh, but before we get to that, we want to talk a little bit about some of the questions that have come in from the Improved Photography community. Mm. Rainy Lee Tubbs has a little bit of highlight exposure anxiety, uh, <laughs> and she wants to know how to either turn on the the highlight warning on the camera. Uh, or just what she should be doing to um, make sure she's not overexposing the highlights. So I'll give the kind of basic information, then I'll throw it over to you guys. When you take a picture, the camera can only capture a certain dynamic range. If, you know, some things are going to be too bright and some things are going to be too dark to fit in one picture. And so they're just completely white or completely black with no texture or detail in them. And so on most cameras, you can turn on uh, you can turn on your highlight priority so that after you take a picture on the back of the camera, it's going to show your your picture and it will just blink anything that's pure white anything that's overexposed and then you'll know uh that that uh that you need to change your exposure to not uh use those highlight priorities so right now right this second on your camera guys this is your survey do you have highlight prior or highlight uh warnings turned on probably Probably. i think i do yeah (laughs) so i use it it totally depends on the type of photography (laughs) i'm doing that day so if I'm doing like landscape photography, I always shoot with my highlight alert on just because I'm wanting to capture the entire dynamic range. I really care about the highlights anytime that I'm shooting landscape image. But if I'm shooting portraits, nah, I don't care so much. And anytime that I'm showing the back of my camera to the client, I don't want to have those annoying blinkies turning on and off because they're not going to understand what they're looking at. They're going to think that something is wrong with the photo. Um, so in those cases, I usually turn it off. I'm a Canon shooter. I kind of only speak for the Canon side. I'm not even sure if the uh, the vocab is the same, though the terminology is the same uh, with other camera systems. But what you're wanting to turn on is highlight alert. And you can just go into your camera menu. It's going to be in one of the main parts of the menu in most cameras. And you want to enable uh, highlight alert. And that way it's going to bring up your blinkies and tell you anytime you've overexposed your highlights. And if you're shooting in manual, it's super easy to fix. If you're shooting in an automatic mode, you're going to have to, if you're overexposing your highlights, you're going to have to 
um, add a whole bunch of negative exposure compensation to try to bring back those highlights. So in some types of photography, it's really, really important to protect those highlights. Right. I mean, get the, the reason you want to protect the highlights is because once, once it's blown out, there's no information there. And even if you take it into Lightroom or Photoshop, there's it's, it's pure white on that pixel and there's no other information to pull. Um, if you underexpose a little, depending on your camera and your sensor, a lot of times you can bring up those shadows and start to recover some detail. There'll be noise. You can deal with noise. There are ways to deal with noise. But if you've blown out the pixel, all you have is pure white and there's really nothing. Mm -hmm. There's really nothing else you can extract from that other than pure white. Right. Yeah, you can you can pull back a little bit. I mean, if we have just barely clipped our highlights, you can pull you can pull some data out of there. Because remember these the highlight priority uh, is just based based on the JPEG of that picture, but you're going to have the raw, right. so you can't pull back a tiny bit. It's just it's it's better if you just don't uh, overexpose it to begin with. I almost never use the blinkies, and the reason I almost never use the blinkies is they bother me. A lot of times, I want <laughs> the back I want the background to be white, and I can't even pay attention to my picture because things are flashing at me as I'm trying to do <laughs> photography. You know, you shoot somebody on a white background, it's it's going to be blinking like crazy. It's supposed to be. You can't even see the picture. Uh, or sometimes I'm taking, you know, candids of my kids. Well, I don't really care if the background is, is overexposed. <laughs> I want the background to be expo overexposed to have this nice, bright, clean feeling. I just am paying attention to the kid. But you do need to pay attention to your highlights. And if I'm shooting landscapes, yeah, it makes sense to do it there. I don't go into the mm -hmm. to the trouble of actually changing it, but it makes perfect sense to turn on the blinkies when you're shooting landscapes because you'd pretty much never want to overexpose highlights in a landscape. That's just not really something that you do uh, unless you're shooting bracketed shots or something. And so uh, I don't do it just because it bothers me. And it's I'm not going to like set up a million of those settings that I only sometimes use. Uh, I will just watch the histogram as I shoot uh, mm -hmm. and even just look at the JPEG preview. I, I can recognize it if I'm getting really close to there after you've done it enough times. Uh, but I, I think it's a useful thing. I just think it usually gives people exposure anxiety and it makes them <laughs> freak out about it. And like a lot right. of the time you want parts of the picture to be white. It's okay. Right. Anyway. White exists in nature and that's yes, a totally is, okay, okay. <laughs> okay thing to have. Yeah. 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 So kind of rolling back to another type of photography that it is actually kind of handy to have that highlight alert on is a couple of weeks ago when I was photographing wine bottles, I needed my background to be complete white or at least very close to it to where I didn't have tons of editing to do in post. And so I had my highlight alert on making sure that I was getting the background white, but nothing on the bottle was blowing out. So another case, like if you're needing to have absolute white for your background, it is kind of useful to have that highlight alert on just so you know how close you are to getting that complete white. Well, the next question comes from Justin Rogers, uh, who is making a trip to Ireland. How, how do you, I see, I can't even do the Ireland. Ireland. All I know <laughs> is uh, one time I knew a guy from Ireland who was just, uh, he was awesome. And he had such a great accent. He was in my house one day and he says, it must when we're in an argument instead of it matters. It's just fun. I always like that. I should plan a trip to Ireland. Um, anyway, he's planning his trip and he would like an app that will help him to plan his photo, photo spots that he's stopping at 
as he travels. So it looks like he's not really looking for an app just with photo uh, photo spot ideas, but something just to help plan uh, where he's going to stop on a on a trip. Uh, he's been looking at Tripomatic, but is there anything that you guys use for this? You know, I was going to kind of throw this back to you, Jim, because uh, one of the things that I've always been curious of is how to make custom Google Maps. And I know it's possible, and but it's something that I've never really done. And I want to know how to do because how useful would that be to just add little pins to a custom Google Map, be able to bring that up on your phone and be able to drive right there. So I was going to throw this back to you because I really don't know. This is like a boomerang question. I answer your question (laughs) with a question. Okay, the way that you do this is it's complicated. Google Maps is kind of a weird interface. If you just go to the regular old Google Maps, you can't do this. You have to specifically Google my maps by Google. If you search my maps, then it brings up something that you can create your own custom map. So like I have my Iceland photo locations that I've been gathering. Anytime I see an awesome photo online that's Iceland, boom, I find the location, do whatever I can. I'll, I'll, I'll message the people and say, hey, where is this? And I'm adding it to my Iceland map. And then it's plotted on here. So that once you have it on a big map, because otherwise, I mean, you just have this list of photo locations and you're just going to be traveling randomly between them. And so this is a great tool for planning a trip, uh, because now that I have all my spots on here, I could easily see, oh, it's kind of the south, kind of southeastern side of Iceland that most of my best photo locations are on. And so we don't want our hotel to be in Reykjavik like the last time we went there. Let's just stay over here in this area where we have much quicker access to the majority of the best photo locations. And I also separate them like green is the very best photo locations. Yellow's okay. And red's just like, eh, stop by if you're bored one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by having that, it makes trip planning just super fast. And then, you know, if you shoot a location and you're like, oh, this was, you know, this was okay, but the conditions aren't quite right yet. You pull up your map and you can instantly see what's right around you is the next best location. So I, I really like using it for that. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've heard and I keep getting things on Kickstarter and things like that. There are apps that are developed by photographers where they it's it's exactly like that. And they crowdsource information from people. It'll take their photos from their iPhones or whatever with geotags, plot them on the map, show you where the most popular uh, spots are and what photos are taken there. Problem with, I haven't seen any of these really take off because they're crowdsourced. They really need a lot of community support. So I haven't seen an app really come to the forefront, Mm -hmm. but the technology is definitely there. I couldn't agree more. This crowdsourced, it's not a good solution for photo locations because Mm -hmm. you see like just just locations that aren't interesting uh, that go put on there because you have photographers of all skill levels who are submitting locations. And yeah. as you improve in your photography, you usually become a, not only a little bit more picky about, uh, about the locations you choose, but also you find that some locations just work better for a photo than others. Even if right. the other locations are beautiful, I can, I could take you right now to 10 gorgeous places in Idaho that just aren't really a great photo. There's just not a good mm-hmm. put together composition, even though it's be- a beautiful spot. And I, that's yeah. the problem with many of them. So th- this is in a roundabout way, kind of connected, but one <laughs> of the, is loosely connected. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing is I like to go to waterfall survey websites. And one of the Ooh. things that they, they have is a downloadable file that you can open up inside of Google Earth. And it, it puts pins on all the waterfalls um, inside Google Earth for that area. 
area. You can click on each waterfall and it gives you photos, um, information on how, how difficult it is to hike to. Uh, and then, you know, all the, the other information that you w- could want. So it all, it's all right there inside of Google Earth where you can <laughs> see where it is in relation to roads and parking lots and stuff and then you also have photos to kind of compare to to see whether that's somewhere they even want to go anyways so that's the way i've been finding waterfalls uh you can find all kinds of other custom maps if you just do a search for you know google earth map or google earth pins or locations and and then open those up inside of google earth because google earth itself is so powerful it's nice anytime you can integrate that with things that you're interested in whether it's historical places or whatever kind of vacation you're going on uh finding a map for that that works inside of google earth is a really it, you can burn hours doing it because it's so entertaining so that's what i like to do in Google Earth, you can also you can also choose what time of day you're going to be at a specific location. So, I mean, I my my folks live in Colorado. So, while sunrise and sunset has a specific time according to the horizon and curvature of the Earth, the mountains will disturb uh, will disturb when you actually start losing light. So, you can go into Google Earth, put in what time you're going to be at a specific location, and see what time the sun actually starts going around these mountains from a specific location at a specific angle and kind of mock up your shot before you actually get. Yeah. So many cool features in Google Earth. There is. And you know, this is one area that I think photographers often skimp on is the planning the shoot before you go. And that Mm. it's a kind of a painful process. I don't like the trip planning aspect of what I do. Uh, But if you put in that time to know when the light's going to be there, to really research a location, to get an idea of your compositions before you get there, that's where most of my best photos are made or when I've really paid the price in planning uh, to, to have it ready. All right. Mm-hmm. The next question comes from Glenn George. Glenn basically wants us to know how we can start dipping our foot into water, into water, <laughs> dipping our foot <laughs> into uh, videography. And he's specifically asking about wedding, but I think just generally. So this is my problem. I, I'm with mm. you, Glenn. I shoot video clips. Sometimes I, I see something that's like, oh, this is better suited to motion than a still photo. I record them, thousands of them. I'm like, man, that's good f- good footage. I'm going to use that someday. Never. I never use that footage. <laughs> it just <laughs> sits on the hard drive. Uh, or when I do finally like, oh, you know what? I'm going to put together some video. It's like, for what? Like, I can share a photo and I love people will write back and be like, you know, give me that feedback. Tell me that they liked it. That That's kind of encouraging to me. But like mm-hmm. video, it's like, am I going to post a video of like, check out this girl like acting as a senior? No, I'm just going to take still photos of, of a senior photo shoot. I get that, uh, you know, wedding. Of course, you want some video of your wedding. But like uh, just generally of like nature photography and stuff, I just don't see the appeal of just shooting video clips. So what is it? How can I how can I get more interested in this? Here's an idea. What if ran 15 seconds of video for every single landscape composition you shot throughout the entire year threw that footage into a folder and then at the end of the year put together this compilation of all these beautiful places you've been? 
I think that that's a great way to kind of um, promote yourself as a landscape photographer, just as, you know, look at all these amazing places I've been. And then you can take that a step further and add a little bit of, you know, footage of you actually walking to the location or something. It doesn't have to be very much, but just a little bit of that to kind of tie it all together. And then suddenly you have something that other landscape photographers are going to be really into because it'll be like motivational and inspiring because of all this beautiful footage you've acquired. Um, it's an idea. It's not something I've ever done, but it's a good idea. But and I, th- and I think <laughs> your 15 second thing is right on the mark. Video on Instagram is a fantastic way to just people engage with video on Instagram more than they do with photos. They may sit and stare and they may like a photo, but when they see a video, they stop and they really look at it. Um, for every shoot that I do, I always do, even if it's just a photo shoot, just 15 seconds that, you know, you want to, you want to get some close-ups, you want to get some rack focus things because 15 seconds on, on Instagram is, is very engaging and and you can throw some music behind it and all of a sudden you have something very impactful and right. if you put a 2 second bumper on the front and a 2 second bumper on the on, on the on the back end then all of a sudden you have a little mini commercial for your services exactly. and it's, it's really effective and you know as a portrait photographer i've seen some of the most beautiful slideshows where it's primarily just a whole bunch of photos but then mixed in is like that 3 seconds of like if it's a newborn shoot just 3 seconds of a baby's toes slowly coming into focus and wiggling around or yeah. you know just just little things like the baby's hands or mom interacting with the baby whatever that can that little bit of motion just brings it all to life and it, and the tears just start to flow <laughs> and as a portrait photographer that's really what you want is just to make people cry make, can make moms cry. cry is is next goal <laughs> exactly. for the week uh, just and not just yep. anybody but moms need to cry exactly <laughs> they got to get it out and it's your job to make them cry and if you make them cry they'll just throw money at you but <laughs> as a portrait photographer think of it as a way to kind of just um up your slideshow game if you're doing mm-hmm. the, like those animoto slideshows throwing just a little bit of video footage doesn't even have to be good doesn't have to be much but just have a little bit of motion it just breathes life into the whole slideshow so uh, think of it that way if you're a portrait photographer an easy way also to get if you really want a lot of impact in a short amount of time is if you shoot if you shoot in slow-mo if you're shooting uh if you shoot 60 frames a second and then slow it down to 24 frames a second everything becomes so much more dramatic and and mm-hmm. graceful and it there's there's a heightened element i mean 15 seconds of just like a, a senior portrait of a model just kind of moving around all of a sudden it's got this elevated grandeur um just right. because you're shooting in slow-mo and people they, they have a different reaction to slow motion than they do with um yeah. I, I think home videos have kind of ruined uh, <laughs> us for for regular motion we, we think of home videos when we just see video but if you have something that's a little bit different, the production value is elevated and uh, we, react, we react to it. Differently. And kids running around playing in the park during a family oh, yeah. photo shoot, shoot that in high speed and then slow it down and suddenly and put throw some music to it. Oh, Mom, yeah. Mom's going to cry. She's going <laughs> to cry every time. And, and it's always a good thing. It's a it's a money making affair to make moms cry. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> oh, this is getting twisted. Uh, all right. I wanted to talk a little bit about real estate state photography um Mm. and this is something that many of you know i've been working on 
So in January of this year, I decided I was going to open up a local photography business. This isn't something I have done for quite a few years. I spent all my efforts on improvephotography.com, but I I wanted to be able to encourage people to kind of chase after whatever they want to accomplish in photography. And for many of you, you're wanting to earn some money from your photography, even if it's just fun money, even if it's just gear money, even if you plan to keep your day job. Most of us would like to earn, to turn a little bit of a profit with our cameras. Not everybody, but many, I think most of you at least. And so I decided I was going to take on real estate photography because I think I think real estate photography has much less competition than the portrait, certainly the wedding world. Um, and I think it's a great job to do part-time and not uh, full-time, which is what most uh, of our listeners are interested in even though we certainly do have lots of full-time photographers who listen as well. Um, and so I, I started doing this in the month of January. I think I made $450, which was my very first month starting out, made $450. Uh, February, I think it was closer to $700 uh, that I made in February, the second month of this business existing. And I probably spent maybe 12, 14 hours total on on the business in that month. So really promising results uh it's not something that you know you're gonna retire on uh but it's it's really promising to be able to see that in very little time i mean two months starting the business to already be turning a a significant profit and so i i've Mm. been learning a lot of things as i'm doing it i knew nothing about real estate photography when i started and so i just wanted to share with you a few tips that i have learned uh, as i've been doing this and I've been updating a lot on on the website with more information about real estate photography. The first lesson that I learned this month is you have a significant advantage if you have a camera that can shoot in-camera HDR and sweep panoramas. I hadn't really thought about this. Uh, these are mm-hmm. two features of cameras that just haven't really interested me much because in-camera HDR is not as good as, it's not like a normal HDR. They're usually better just to shoot the separate three photos and then you can put them together on the computer. But real estate photography is about speed. You you (laughs) can't spend five hours on each shoot or you're not going to turn a profit. It's high volume, low margin. And so doing things like in-camera HDR, where I don't have to, you know, mask in the windows that are overexposed, And I don't have to tone map and things like that. I can just, boom, shoot everything in camera and get the dynamic range is huge. And similarly, sweep panorama. So sweep panorama is like what your iPhone does. You know, you you start your exposure and you just move your camera across and it, boom, it gives you a panorama. With a DSLR, it's different. You take a picture, move it a little, take a picture, move it a little, take a picture, and then you stitch them together in Lightroom or Photoshop. Well, disadvantage is, of course, time. This takes too long for Mm -hmm. a real estate photography shoot. And so I've found those features this month have been really useful to have sweep panorama and in-camera HDR. Have either of you guys played with that on your cameras? I'm not really. (laughs) Because it's not a pro technique. We don't do that. I, I know. I'm such a control freak that it would it would drive me nuts to have the camera do something that I could do separately. Yep. Because I like that extra control, but I totally agree with what you're saying that if you can do it faster, you're going to be better off shooting landscape or shooting real estate that way because real estate agents they want the photos like right now. If you yeah. they they practically expect you to deliver them as soon as you get home sometimes. Yep. So 
anything you can do in camera and and speed it up is going to be a good thing for sure yeah i mean it's it seems so counterintuitive because what i'm always i always tell everyone turn off your noise reduction turn off your sharpening because you've got this tiny little computer in your camera just wait till you get to your big computer at home and it it does it better but it does mean it's an extra step you've got to merge those or you've got to somehow stitch (laughs) those together it's it, it does increase your workflow considerably it does yeah anyway so the, those are a couple things that i've been looking at they've really helped me quite a bit another lesson that i have learned this week is i have been wanting those kind of photography weather days you know where it's nice big billowing clouds in the sky and stuff and a couple times i've turned over photos to the client and the client responds and says oh i wish it was a prettier day when the shoot was and i'm like prettier day. this was like Perfect photography weather. Are you kidding me? Uh, And as I'm working more and more with real estate agents, that's just not what they want. What they want is the nice big blue sky with a couple clouds in in there. um, And that's appealing. And, you know, as I've thought about it, I I think they may be right to some extent. Uh, You know, the photo is still going to look best during the blue hour. That that exterior photo, the blue hour with the yellow lights Mm -hmm. of the house streaming. You can't beat that. It's just gorgeous. Uh, but if we're shooting during the day, I, I can see the appeal at least of this nice, pretty day, uh, you know, kind of like the Windows XP background kind of day, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I, I can see that appeal. And so it's got me thinking a little bit differently about the right weather for real estate. Yeah, they want Teletubby skies. <laughs> they, <Yes. laughs> they want the big blue skies with a couple puffy clouds. Um and and as photographers, we're especially us that shoot landscapes, we're wanting kind of those dramatic skies. And oftentimes those dramatic skies are a bit more ominous than what the real estate agent wants. So they want the nice, friendly, inviting Teletubby sky. <laughs> right. They want they want great weather every day. Now, now, Jim, let me ask you, are you I know you've talked a little bit about sky replacement. Do you ever do sky replacement in any of these uh, real estate photos or is that just too time intensive uh for for those kinds of shoots yeah i do i i'm definitely using sky replacements actually Mm. pretty often um a couple Uh, uh things that that make the sky replacement a little bit of a harder technique to use for real estate is one just time just takes time Uh, but you can do them pretty quickly if you if you're efficient with it and i posted a youtube video a couple weeks ago on the improved photography youtube channel showing you how in 30 seconds you can totally replace a real estate sky. Uh, There are some things about a real estate photo that make that replacement really fast if you're careful Mm. about the conditions. So do check that out. That's at YouTube. Uh, Just check for the Improved Photography channel. And then I have a 30-second sky replacement tutorial uh, for real estate. And and that was pretty useful. If you're getting into it more, then you're definitely going to want Nick's tutorial on how to do the full thing. So yes, I, I am using it. But uh, it's it's another one of those just time consuming things. Another right. problem that uh, that there is with sky replacements for um, for real estate is if you do it in one photo, you kind of have to do it in all of them. Exactly. Otherwise, the photos yeah. feel kind of disjointed, like, boom, beautiful, bright day. And then weird. It's raining, you know, like it just feels kind of disjointed when you when you have a series of 35 photos that if you do it in one, you kind of have to do it in all. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Another thing that I have uh, learned from real estate photography uh, that I've mentioned a couple times, but this week I've been doing a lot of the pole photography where you're just attaching the camera to the end of a painter's pole. It's better than a drone. Uh, I I have used the DJI Phantom for, for the last month and a half. 
And now I've switched exclusively to the pole. The pole's just better. I'm getting better photos. It's more stable than the Phantom. It takes way less time to than setting up the Phantom. There's not nearly as much liability with with you know flying propellers and kids running around the neighborhood and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pole really does seem to be winning out for real estate. Again, if you're shooting acreage, you know you're going to want the drone. Uh, and if you're doing video, you're going to want the drone. But just for stills, boy, that that pole is worth something. Yeah, and and you don't have to have any special permits to own a pole, right? <laughs> or to, to, to photograph using a pole, and that's becoming more and more of an issue. And I'm sure it, it, they're going to start eventually cracking down on real estate uh, photographers using them without permits. I'm assuming oh, someday yeah. they will. Once Congress right. gets yeah. its hand on those painters poles, photography will never be the same. <laughs> exactly, But it just Register. makes a huge difference. The photo just commands attention when you just raise it up, you know, about two times your height, uh, two times the average height of a person, I would say, you know, maybe 15 feet is what we're going for. Uh, it just the photo, mm-hmm. it just really captures you when it's from that little bit of a different right. perspective. Yeah. Are you f- it, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it kind of comes back to what we had talked about a little bit in weeks previous about just a different perspective uh, makes a photo more interesting. So, you know, shooting from 10 to 15 feet in the air is a different perspective than we normally see with our eyes. Thus, it makes the photo more interesting and uh, more attention worthy when you're scrolling through a bunch of photos and then boom, there's one with a different perspective. I'm going to look at that one. That's just kind of the kind of the psychology behind it. Truly, truly. Um, Now, are you framing up? Are you framing up that shot on the floor using the the Wi-Fi app on that or are you just kind of putting it up there and and eyeballing it and then um, and then using a remote release? I I have done both. I am. I have on my to do list today uh, this week to set up the camera app with my new fuji x pro 2 that came in the mail this week um Mm -hmm, but most mm -hmm. of the time i'm just using a 10 second timer to do it uh i mean it it just doesn't take any time to just set a 10 second timer hold it up snap and you're done Uh, i'm because we don't need real high resolution anyway i'm shooting too wide and too far away from the house and cropping in anyway on the Mm. photo uh because i don't want to spend the time like oh i want to get my composition a little to the left i said i don't need high resolution so i'm just going to crop it it takes way less time yeah Oh, it actually, it takes about 10 seconds. Yeah, well, 10 seconds. <laughs> we don't have time for those 10 second timers. So that's, that's right. Two second timers only. All right. Well, we want to get on to talk about some more topics. Nick is going to talk a little bit about death and landscape photography. Um, but before we do that, I want to take a second and tell you about my mattress that has made the improved photography podcast possible. <laughs> so this is a true story. This was, I don't know, maybe five weeks ago before they decided to advertise on the podcast. I bought, um, I started going to all the different mattress stores and I, I told my wife I was just going insane. If one more mattress salesman had me lay down on the mattress that felt the same as all the others and uh, told me that it was an investment to spend $4,000, $5,000 on a mattress, I was just going nuts. I was not going to spend four grand on a mattress. It was driving me crazy. And so my sister-in-law told me about Casper. Casper makes one mattress, one awesome mattress, and they make it in the United States. And uh, it's great. It's an excellent memory foam with several different layer mattresses. Uh, I, I like honestly have been sleeping better. I've been telling my friends about it. And then I saw that they uh, got an ad here on the podcast and I was just thrilled because it really is just an excellent excellent company 
Uh, and now you can get $50 toward the purchase of any mattress from Casper uh, by going to casper.com slash improve and in using code improve at checkout. So that's casper.com slash improve. C-A-S-P-E-R. And thank you to Casper for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. And by Squarespace. Squarespace is the company that I use for my photography uh, website, as well as Nick. I know you're using Squarespace for Mm -hmm. your uh, photography website. And Nick, what is it that you like about your Squarespace site? Well, currently, like I've started using the store more and more and more. So now I'm selling like my workshop dates through the store. I'm selling like uh, wallpapers and backgrounds for computers through my store. And it's really, really easy. Um, if I can do it, you can probably do it too, because, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have the attention span to sit there and write code. That's never been Nick. So I'm able to keep my website updated. Um, I get asked frequently who makes my website and I always take a little bit of pride saying, well, actually I made that. And then I tell them through, it's just through Squarespace and they're like, oh, well, anybody can do no Squarespace. Because- <laughs> exactly. But the, the store features are really easy. And I've been using it more and more with zero problems. I've never had anybody have issues with it. And if there has been an issue, it's because of my own forgetfulness or something related to it. So uh, I've really been liking the store feature. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I'm loving my Squarespace site as well. Uh, When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for improved photography. And we thank Squarespace for continuing to support the Improved Photography Podcast. Well, Nick, you want to talk a little bit about death today, uh, death and landscape photography. How does that happen? Well, you know, death is just something I've been thinking about a lot lately. <laughs> no. You turn 36 uh, so, this week and you're like, the end is near. It's almost over. The writing's yeah. on the wall. Unfortunately, sometimes death and landscape photography go hand in hand. Uh, I I wanted to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of doing landscape photography alone or with a friend or with a landscape buddy. So a lot of us landscape photographers, we like landscape photography to kind of get away from people. That's kind of the point. If we wanted to be around people, we would be doing street photography or portraits or weddings or something other than going out into nature away from people typically. So when I'm doing landscape photography, it's kind of my Zen time. It's my time to like be alone and decompress and, you know, be one with nature, man. And so that that's kind of one of the pros is just getting away from people. And it's a great reset button for me. But there's it's kind of some cons that come with going and doing landscape photography alone. And, and one of the biggest cons is dying, uh, <laughs> dying. <laughs> like the, the thing is, the reason I bring this up is that you can go out and if you're hiking into a spot that is beautiful and uh, typically isn't really heavily, uh, you know, trafficked, like you go into a waterfall that's fairly remote and you do something as simple as twist your ankle with nobody coming in there. Dying is, it's, it becomes on the table just from a twisted ankle. It doesn't take much of an injury when you're off the beaten path to become a real serious problem. Before you know it, you're going to be cutting your arm off with a Swiss army knife because, you know, nobody's going to be there to come save you. So doing it alone definitely has 
some pros and some cons pros being that you you get to get away from people for a little bit decompress uh cons being that it doesn't take much of a injury or a fall or anything to become a serious life-threatening event um so it's one of those things that like you kind of have to weigh the pros and the cons of each place you go to like another thing that i'm always thinking about is if i go somewhere with a whole bunch of people and something amazing happen happens they're all going to have my shot and i hate that <laughs> like you know if i go to palouse falls like i've done in the past and this amazing sky happens like has happened in the past unfortunately there was another photographer there that got a very similar shot to me and because there was multiple people there we both have the same shot and it's like it makes my shot not quite as cool because somebody else is out there and has the exact same amazing sky over Palouse Falls. Um, so one of the cons of of going somewhere with multiple people is that they're going to have the same shots you have. And that drives me nuts. That's one of the t- reasons I, I travel alone a lot of times. But having said that, there's some spots where I've hiked into like a mile and a half hike, get up there and the trail down to the water so I can photograph the waterfall from this particular angle is too steep and too slick for me to feel comfortable because I know I could get down it like getting down a really slick trail is no problem at all you can probably make record time because you're going to slide the whole way down but getting back out of there is a problem and if you have nobody there to help you out you're just going to be at the bottom and be like hey hey you know like <laughs> you don't want to be the guy yelling hey at the bottom of of some crevice so <laughs> so i guess what i'm saying is um, depending on where you're going, there's definite advantage to taking somebody with you, even if you don't really want to go with somebody else. Another thing is that watching somebody else do their style of photography can kind of be inspirational at times because a lot of times other people have different methods than you and they see things differently than you and seeing what they're seeing can be like oh well i didn't think of that that's kind of cool and and it can be kind of inspirational to see like some of the ideas and and creativity of others um and just see what they're doing that's different than the way you do it and and that can kind of be inspirational as well so i guess the the point of my rant is just to kind of <laughs> kind of analyze like when you you are going out to do landscape photography is it the kind of place where maybe you shouldn't do it alone or is it the kind of place where you want to do it alone and maybe hopefully get like the only shot of some amazing piece of weather that comes through or something like that. So yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think? Do you, do you like to travel alone or do you like to take a group of your of speaking is <laughs> I, I have been the guy at the bottom of the crevasse yelling for help before I have absolutely been that guy i was in hawaii this is years ago i wanted to get some shot it was in Kauai, and wanted to like hike up and get some shot of a really cool waterfall it was remote it was like a seven mile hike in and i just followed the 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 riverbed all the way up and i figured well you know i'll find my way back down i'll just follow the riverbed down and then i got there took some gorgeous pictures and i started coming down and then it started raining and that one little riverbed turned into 15 different rivulets that got me completely (laughs) lost lost um and you know the, the thing about being just human nature is you don't realize you're in an emergency until it's way too late and the last thing you want to do no, when that's you're all part alone of being a guy yeah I, you, you know, don't I think realize you're in an emergency <laughs> until it's right. way and, too and the late last thing is, is, after is your wife man. has been saying no jim <laughs> we really need some help 
<laughs> yeah. It's it's really hard as a, as a man, even if you're completely by yourself, to yell out for help. And mm-hmm. that's a really tough thing to do. And so the, my one piece that I can chime in is uh, bring a whistle. Because when that time comes and the time will come when you're like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I have to <laughs> scream for help. <laughs> at least you won't have to like scream like an idiot. You'll at least have a civilized whistle to tell people right. that oh, you can't handle this. Exactly. A whistle goes so much further. You will blow out your voice in 15 minutes if you're just screaming mm-hmm. at the top of your lungs. And a whistle can be heard much further. You save your voice and it's it's a, it's a much better piece of yeah. uh, equipment than your vocal cords. And if if you're seven miles in, nobody can <laughs> yell that loud. You right, know, you're right. going to be yelling for a while before anybody mm-hmm. hears you. A whistle might actually carry that distance, but yelling, nope. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yep. yeah, that's pretty much what I had to talk about. What do you What do you got? Um, I've got. I want to talk about uh, sharing versus stealing photos on uh, online and on social media. Preferred I was to um, share. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sharing sharing is 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 much better. I mean. I, I always thought that it's something that photographers especially understood very well. Uh, you know, when you when you share a photo on social media, when you share a photo on Facebook, when you share a photo on Instagram, uh, you still retain the copyright and the ownership of that photo. Um, and it's great. Like, I love it. If I if I post a photo on my Facebook wall and somebody really loves it and they share it on their Facebook wall and it gets shared 185 times, that's absolutely fantastic. I can't be more excited about that. But I think there's something in maybe it could be a generational thing with with the advancement of technology. I think there are a lot of people who don't understand the difference between sharing a photo from someone else's page and then taking a photo from someone's website and sharing it on your Mm -hmm. own feed. Uh, That's stealing. I mean, that's that's absolutely stealing. And I don't know. And I and I don't know why there aren't more people that are aware of the difference. And, And the comment that I saw this, I was commenting on a thread of another photographer who had uh her photograph stolen by another website on facebook the comment that was underneath the comment was she should feel lucky that her photo was seen by so many people she should be paying that person for for sharing her photo and that just blew my mind blew my mind um there's a huge difference between sharing and stealing a huge difference and the big difference is consent that's that's Mm -hmm. basically it if i put a photo on facebook i am saying please you know share it link back to me use it on facebook as much as possible as much as you like it's a very different thing than someone taking a photo from my website uploading it onto their feed and then getting getting uh getting a claim or or whatever from it that's that's unauthorized yeah. use of, of my image and that's 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 the thing that bugs the the minute that the image has to be downloaded that's when mm-hmm. the line kind of gets crossed if yeah. you if you share it to facebook from the website that's great that's driving yeah. traffic to the website if mm-hmm. you share it from facebook to facebook that's great if you share it on pinterest from a website or somewhere that's great but as soon as you right click and download Right. That that's when that that's when the the waters get muddy. I get this asked. I I get asked this all the time. Like, aren't you afraid that people are going to steal your photos off of Facebook and take them and call them their own or print them or something? Yeah. My my reaction to that is twofold. Like, for one, I take so many photos that if one of them got stolen and and I missed out on a single crappy print that came from Facebook, I don't really care. They're, they're not going to be able to print that any larger than eight by 10 anyways. And it's still going to look junky or, you know, somebody claiming it to be their uh, claiming that it's their own photo. 
I'm not too worried about that either because, you know, a simple Google search and I can find those, those photos that are important to me. So typically I don't care. I get, I enjoy people seeing my work on Facebook, so Mm -hmm. I don't let the fear of somebody stealing my image get in the way of that. Yeah. You know, the whole point I'm on social media is so I can be like, look what I did today. Look at this, look at this, you know, that's kind of the whole point. And so, uh, you know, if, that means more to me than the potential for one of my images to be stolen or printed or something. But you also have a very unique, I mean, you, I've noticed that your, your watermark is kind of built into your, into the composition of your, of your photographs. So there, I mean, it's a really, it used to be watermarks were this big, ugly thing. They used to be right in the middle of the photo and they, and they detract. And I, and I, I, I can't stand that. I why put up a photo if you're going to make it look ugly. Um, But I do, I really like what you've done with putting your branding into the composition and into the layout of the photo, I think is, is uh, a brilliant way to keep your brand out there and protect the photo. Yeah. I thought about it for probably a good solid 15 seconds before I did it. I've really put a lot of thought into my watermark. I was like, "Eh, that looks good enough, whatever. (laughs) So that was the deep talk that I had with myself about my watermark, (laughs) but, but thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Nice. (laughs) <laughs> well, in every episode, we like to leave you with a few doodads, or in Nick's case, doodos of the month. Uh, those of you who are on the Improved Photography Facebook group may have got that joke. Nobody else, just forget about it. Just don't worry about that. Um, anyway, my my doodad for this week is the Shutterbug magazine. Uh, I am really excited. This is cool for me. Uh, it doesn't happen every day. Uh, but I have two photos that are going to be on the cover of Shutterbug magazine, I think in oh. the May issue. Uh, so I, uh, so you go ahead and subscribe to Shutterbug magazine. Actually, it really is a great magazine. It is one of the last few uh, great magazines out there. And subscribing for a whole year to Shutterbug magazine was really cheap. Uh, let's see how much it was. It was 17 bucks. Gives you 12, 12 issues to the to the magazine, so pretty cool. Hmm. Uh, you can I subscribed on Amazon. You can get just Shutterbug magazine, but uh, it's pretty cool. I've been liking the magazine; has some good stuff. So that's my dude out of the week. Jim would also like to add that he's kind of a big deal. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome, man. That's, that's really fantastic. cool. I was really excited about that. That's fun. Cool. Okay, so my do dad this week. No do do's, just do dads this week. I see. Is... I have to explain it, otherwise people are going to be thinking I'm trying to okay. make fun of you. So it okay. was if it was Nick's birthday this last week. I've mentioned this like three times on the podcast. Nick's starting to blush and everything. Um. And so anyway, I went up to Washington to, uh, to, uh, celebrate with Nick. I brought my family up. And, uh, so I thought, my, I've got to get Nick some kind of cool present. And so we've been joking off, uh, offline, uh, with some of the hosts of the podcast about a bidet. The bidet is clearly the best device ever created. Like other, everybody, international listeners who are listening right now are like, of course, what else do you use? In America, we use paper. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And a bidet is just a a refined, beautiful device. Anyway, there's one I got on Amazon for Christmas uh, (laughs) because my brothers and I were joking about it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, So anyway, that's what was Nick's birthday for the week. So anyway, that's that's where the joke's (laughs) coming from. And I've, and I've already decided that I'm going to change the power level settings, like the little icons next to the power level settings to uh, emojis. 
So the first one's going to be just like a smiley face. And then and then after the smiley face, it's going to be like the straight face. And then after that, it's going to be like the the open face with like the O face. Like and then after that, it's just going to be tears. And so that that's going to be the new power level for the the, the day. But so where were we? Oh yes, we're talking photography. Uh, so my doodad this week is rope. I don't know why it took me so long to think of this, but I'm going to start packing a length of rope with me when I go what are you shooting landscape that? photography. When I hike into those waterfalls and I'm afraid to go down that slope, I'm no longer going to be afraid to go down that, be afraid to go down that slope because I'm going to have rope with me. Tie it around a tree, string it down the hill, and then I'll have a way to get back up the hill should it be prove too steep and slick for me to get back up. So instead of friends, I got rope. And I can find more rope than I can find friends. So that's my doodad this week. I see your doodad and raise you a doodad. I'm bringing MacGyver with a rubber band. (laughs) And a rubber band and a toothpick. You have a missile launcher there. That's that's all you need. Steven, how about you? Um, My doodad this week is uh, it's the Aperture Halo. Um, It's a high CRI LED uh, ring light that fits right onto the front of your lens. I'm crazy about it because, well, number it's a it's a constant light. I use it for both photo and video. Um, I think LED lights are going through a revolution right now. For a long time, the problem with LED lights is you would get a magenta spike or or, or a green spike, and the and the color rendition wasn't very great. But the new technology in LED lights gives them a CRI of 95 plus, which is pretty pretty darn close to um, to balanced daylight. What's CRI? So just, I'm, I'm, I don't know what that is. I, I, oh, CRI, I speak uh, Kelvin. I don't speak CRI. <laughs> right. So CRI is a color rendering index. So when you're looking at, so when you're looking at any kind of um, artificial lights, you, you want to look at, you want to look at uh, where, how the color is being rendered on all aspects of the spectrum. So uh, a lot of fluorescent lights will have a spike in the green. You'll just have a little bit hotter, uh, hotter spike on the green aspect of the of the color spectrum. Um, LED lights can be a little bit more or have been a little bit more magenta. And obviously, when you're looking at uh, like uh, like your indoor house lights, you're going to get a little bit more. Uh, the tungsten lights are, are more uh, yellow or orange. It's, it's just the way it, it renders. Um, if you want a really clean white light and I can I tend to think of 5,500 Kelvin daylight as that's, that's my baseline for, for pure white. Um, these led lights are really great. They're pretty darn close. You get a small spike in the magenta, nothing that can't be corrected in Lightroom or Photoshop. And it's, um, it's pretty darn close to daylight. And if you're doing, if you're doing macro photography, it fits right on the front of your lens. Um, you can do either one side or the other. So if you want with these really dramatic macro photos where you're just getting a directional light, you can get that. Or if you really want to fill, you just do the whole thing and you can adjust the power. Um, I like to use it for video because a lot of times we might have uh, we might have lit the scene, but the actor might move in or out of their lighting. And this just gives a little bit more fill. It gives a nice ring in the eyes, which, you know, is a very specific look for music videos and stuff. That that halo ring in the mm-hmm. eyes is a really, really kind of a stylized look. And I like it just to put a little bit more light on the face. It just helps helps when I'm doing post-production. That's cool. And it's 35 bucks. It's cheap. That's awesome. In all of my rap videos that I do, I I always have ring lights. Nice. Nice. It makes makes my eyes bling. (laughs) Yeah. It goes with the grill. If you're, if you're going to be wearing a grill, you know, something like lots of platinum or gold or diamonds on your grill, like this is the way to really make it pop. 
Nice. That's what's cracking. Nice. Hey, we're giving all <laughs> kinds of advice this week on the podcast. It's not just about photography anymore. Um, anyway, you can check out the doodads of the week, get links to them, including the doo-doo of the week. Um, and at improvephotography.com slash doodads. Uh, we made a special page there where it has all of them for 2016, all on the same page if you were looking uh, for a link there. So check that out at improvephotography.com slash doodads. Well, thank you guys for joining me. You can find Nick Page at nickpagephotography.com and Stephen Nolly at magiclanternshooter.com. And it was good to talk thank with you. you guys. We will catch you in another seven days.